0: Good morning, men. Good morning. It's good to see you today. I'm so glad that you're here today. Hope you uh, found your way here safely and all that good stuff. Way to go! I know it's a little, little cold. We thought it's going to be a little rainy outside, but uh, it's all good. So I'm glad you're here today. We're so grateful. Uh, we get to come together uh, with other men who are seeking the Lord and and open the Word of God. What a great way to start the day. Amen. All right. Well, hey, uh, I know guys are still coming in, but. Uh, We're going to go ahead and dive in so we have maximum time uh, today, so let's just bow our heads and and close our eyes and pray to the Lord, ask him to use this time. Lord, I thank you for the day. We get up healthy enough to be here. We know that's not the case for for everyone, so we thank you for our health today. We thank you that we have purpose today. Um, We thank you that you've given us work to do, uh, people to love, and brothers to encourage. And we thank you that you've given us a Savior, who gives us uh, grace and forgiveness and hope today, hope of eternal life. And we live in that promise today. we We pray that today would be a day that we we we'd live for you, that we'd love you, and everything that we do, and and we'd express share that love with others. So, God, I thank you for these men. I praise you for uh, the example, the book of Nehemiah. We thank you that you're teaching us about how to be men who lead well. And I pray that today you would speak into our hearts. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good to see you. I'm curious, how many of you in this room uh, came to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade? Anybody? Look at this. Raise your hand high. Okay, one, two, three of us. How many of you were impacted by Billy Graham uh, in some really significant way? Maybe uh, some others have said, yes, uh, that you were a part of a kind of a remote uh, kind of group uh, from the Billy Graham Association, you know, they were uh, doing films early on, uh, which was really a pretty radical thing. Um, I was asked yesterday to share uh, some thoughts that I had about his influence in my life. Uh, you know, there 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 is always, has been, if you gra- gather a group this size uh, in a church or in some Christian gathering and ask how many came to Christ uh, through a Billy Graham crusade, there'll be a number of Folks who would raise their hand. Now I, you would assume that number is going to get smaller as we, as we press on into the years. But uh, that has been the case for decades now. I've been to a few of his crusades, and um, many of you know that Billy Graham was born uh, on a farm just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. How many have been to his uh, library, Billy Graham Library? Yeah, if you have a chance to do that, um, he is going to uh, be there the next. Uh, I think few days he's he's going to be buried right by Gru- uh, Ruth Graham, who has a tombstone there. And her epitaph says, uh, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> That's what it says on her tombstone. He, he uh, married uh, a young Ruth Graham, who well, Ruth Bell, who was a missionary, uh, missionary's kid uh, from China. And uh, many of you know that I'm from Charlotte. So I grew up... Uh, Really, Billy Graham was a hero of mine. Uh, my grandfather and Billy Graham were friend were good friends. Uh, my, my grandfather was uh, the pastor at the First Baptist Church in Charlotte. He's a little bit older than uh, Doctor Graham. Doctor Graham born in 1918. My grandfather about 1890 something, I believe, 89 maybe, and uh, so he's a little bit older, but kind of a um, a mentor of sorts as an older pastor in the in the city and. Uh, then later as i was in t- uh, in high school i got to know uh grady wilson was one of his inner circle uh, one of his it was back his best friend growing up grady and billy graham went to a mordecai ham con- uh, concert uh, crusade and uh, he was a revivalist and uh, he was preaching in charlotte and, and extended you know back then you had extended revivals and and uh, young billy graham 15 year old invited Invited by his friend Grady Wilson to come here, Mordecai Ham. Um, there's all kinds of lessons. I, you know, this is why I'm going to pause and think about him today with you, uh, because of the impact that he had. But I'm thinking about men like Grady Wilson, uh, just a quiet, humble man who ended up in his inner circle along with Cliff Barrows, George Beverly Shea. You know, a lot of a lot of these guys who started out in what was uh, Youth uh, for Christ. Um, Crusades or uh, revivals where they'd go and high school college kids, you know, when they were really young in their 20s and And it was Grady Wilson who led Billy Graham to Christ And it makes me wonder how many Billy Graham's do you and I know who have not yet come to faith? Uh, Men that we can invite to come to church men. We can invite to come to Bible studies like this and uh it's just an incredible thing but I uh, so I watch this man always had an affinity to with Billy Graham just as a as a kid myself from Charlotte and um, and just the connection there my mom who still lives in Charlotte knows a lot of their family and um, if you have a chance to go to the museum uh, to his library do so it's right near the airport there uh, and and it is a wonderful experience and you might imagine Uh, It's a a lot about Billy Graham, but in the end, you start to see real quick, no, this is all about the gospel. That's all this is about. Uh, This is about the message of the gospel. And, you know, he was, um, no one, uh, you would imagine, no one will ever share personally uh, with as many people, share the gospel live, in person, uh, with as many people as he did, some 250, some say 300-something million people he shared the gospel with from his from his lips, uh, live in stadiums and such around the world, not to mention television and now the Internet. His messages will continue on. Uh, and when I reflect on Dr. Graham's life, and this comes to play with the Bible study that we're, we're looking at today in chapter 9 of Nehemiah's we'll head, um, he, he was so, he, you, you wonder, how, why was he so influential? And, and three things come to mind for me. First, he was humble. Uh, that's the first step of, of influence in the kingdom uh, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. He was a humble man. Um, he he uh, was a man of integrity. And to, to live a life of integrity over the decades and to stay close to Christ, and he would say that the, the, the difference in his life was that he, would sp- he spends time in the word with the Lord in prayer every single day. We've talked about that in here you know oswald chamber says it's the one thing that god's called us to intimacy with him and it's the one thing that will constantly be under attack in your life we wonder why is it so hard for me just to have a simple discipline spending time in prayer even five minutes before i head off into my day why can i not do that consistently many people ask it's because satan does not want you to do that it's as i've noted it's like a meal it's like uh, getting with the family if you know, any given time, you might say, well, that didn't make much difference in my life. But you do that every day of your life for 50 years. It'll change the course of your life and people around you. And, uh, and that's what he did. So he was humble. He was a man of integrity through the years. He wouldn't find himself with a woman in a room anywhere, anytime. He, he guarded his heart. He never traveled alone. He always had that group of men around him praying with him. They were accountable to each other as they served the Lord together. He knew he had a target on his back as he became more and more popular, more and more influence. But the thing that made him uh, so uh, so impactful uh, for so many generations was he had one message, right? He had a singular message. I mean, I've even heard people, you know, talk about, well, you know, wasn't that great a preacher? You know that, right? Wasn't that? And I'm thinking, okay, what makes a great preacher? That's worth asking, right? <laughs> We talk about somebody flowery language, man, that guy's so smart. And wow, he's brilliant. Okay, that's a lot about him. Sounds like to me is what you're saying. He had one message and the simplicity of his message was that everybody needs Jesus Christ. He said that the problem, you know, our society is 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 uh, is overcome with problems and issues. But he said the problem in our world is within us. It is Sin. Uh, Just recently I was preaching, and I said, I guess a couple times through the sermon, I said, uh, and the Bible says. And uh, in fact, it was my friend Peggy Powell. I see Boone over there. Peggy said, uh, she said, "I, I love when you say the Bible says. And she noted Billy Graham. That's all he ever did, right? The Bible says. The Bible says. Graham knew he had no authority on his own. And his message was always the same. Sin, you know, God loves you. He 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 was one who who spoke to so many people. You know, it's rare that a man could impact the heart of nations across the globe, and he did so across ethnic uh, ethnic, ethnic lines, ethnicity, uh, racial lines, uh, generations. And he did so because he started with the fact that God loves you. He said, uh, "I remember him saying that God is not a, uh, a uh, or Christianity is not a white man's religion." He said, don't ever let anybody tell you that it is, and it's not a black man's religion. Christ is for all people. He would not preach in South Africa until, they, um, uh, until the, the crowds were, were integrated. Uh, he, was, he stood with Dr. King on racial issues. Social justice uh, was, a, was a mark of his ministry, but the gospel was central. He never got off track. Uh, he never got in the weeds of issues and such that were controversial. He would always go back to the gospel because he said all, all of us are sinful and all of us need, need the love of Christ. And, um, and so he would always, but he didn't stop there. He would talk about what Christ did, that he lived the perfect life. He was the lamb of God, the perfect lamb who would take away our sin. He died on the cross for our sins and he was buried. He rose again. And uh, if you receive, see, he didn't stop there either. He said it's not enough to know all of that, right? Um, And and you all have heard this message perhaps hundreds of times, perhaps. But it's the one message we have. It's what the Apostle Paul said in uh, in 2 Corinthians 15. He said we got one message. Christ and him buried and crucified rose again. That's the message that changes our lives. But Dr. Graham didn't end there. He said you have to confess your sin. It's not enough to know that. In fact, Dr. Graham was, was popular or, or known to say often that he believed that 70% of all people in our churches are, not, are, are unsaved because it's not enough to know that, to confess our sin and then to repent and to make a decision. And that's why he always had that moment uh, in the Crusades where people would come, make decisions for Christ, but confession of sin is the beginning of of, trans, of a transformed life, and not simply knowledge. And so today we're going to look at this powerful uh, thing of confession of sin. So I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. And I want you to, uh, you know, as we get into our groups later on or talk with others, it's a good time. You know, a lot of people are thinking, talking about Dr. Graham. I was saddened to hear of his death but i was joyful in a couple of ways one for him where he'll go and see millions of people who will greet him as he arrives or did arrive uh, there and um, then uh, also knowing that his life and ministry and the gospel will be central in the news for the next week or so and um so i i i i just challenge you to to talk about it yeah and 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 share some thoughts that you may have with other people. You could even do that in your in your groups today as we meet. Uh, in in Nehemiah nine, uh, we're going to see that the people confess their sin. If you're here last week, um, you know after they returned from from exile. So Nehemiah goes. Uh, you've been with us for several weeks here. Perhaps uh, our first first time out, we started to say, you know, all of us need to do a, an evaluation of of the walls in our lives. We said let's do some some uh, real hard look at. At, uh, at, at different aspects of our lives, and where are we crumbling? Where do we need repair? And so we talked about how Nehemiah called. He was broken, uh, went back to Jerusalem, uh, began the work and up against the great opposition that continued to increase. We said the, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you're going to be doing for Him, the more you're going to be attacked by the evil one. Now, Paul saw that as a sign that he was actually in the will of God. We, we, we noted that uh, some say, that the will of God is the safest place to be. And I'd argue that it might just be the most dangerous place to be physically, but it's certainly the right place to be. Uh, and and so um, he called then, the people all started to come back to Jerusalem, noting that the walls were being rebuilt. We're going to reestablish ourselves here. And uh, the exiles returned. All of chapter seven is about that. Ezra then brings out the scroll. The scribe Ezra brings out the law of Moses is what it is. And he reads it to the people. We talked about the power of the word of God read to the people. And here in chapter 9, we're going to see how the people respond to God's word. And the way they respond, as millions uh, did with the preaching of Billy Graham, they respond first with confession of sin. Confession of sin leads to repentance. Repentance will lead to a transformed life. Now, before I dive in, I know I've said a lot already, but I want to, I want to talk about confession of sin I want to define confession as we get into it. Uh, the Greek word that we find in the Bible is homologeo. It's a it's a compound word. Uh, homo, you know that word, uh, means one or the same. Uh, homo and logeo means uh, means to 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 come to the same conclusion, okay, or to come to agree upon. So homologeo means confession means to agree with God, to come to the same conclusion that he has come to. Confession is simply agreeing with what God has already said. Confession is not, I'm curious, how many of you uh, grew up, uh, or perhaps even you are still, but how about this first? How many of you uh, grew up Catholic? Any, uh, anybody grew up Catholic? We have a couple of us here um, who grew up Catholic. Uh, confession for the Catholic, you know, you might run quick to, well, that's a confessing booth. I go to a priest. Um, confession in the Bible is not informing a human Priest or human person, uh, your sin. Now, it does say confess your sins uh, one to another, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. That's an important aspect of growth in our lives. Um, confession is not giving God information. You don't come before the Lord and say, Lord, you won't believe what I have done. Uh, now, a human uh, priest, it'll be that way, um, but not God. Confession is not telling him something he doesn't know. That's worth noting. Um, you're simply agreeing with what he has already said about what you have done. Uh, it's not speculating. Uh, it's not if, if, if I have sinned, if I really did uh, hurt that person. Uh, it's, it's not that. No, it's I have done this. That's confession of sin. Uh, confession is not saying I'm sorry. Um, it, it's, it's, it's much more than that. Confession is not asking, pleading to God for forgiveness for, for your sins. This is an interesting thought. Forgiveness is already available through Christ's life and his death and resurrection Uh, it's simply agreeing with god this is confession Um, it's not emotional groveling i would say mental you know contortions or some psychological catharsis you know boy that feels good to get that off my chest that's not confession it, it does feel good to confess our sins confession is good for the soul but that's not that's not at the heart of confession it's not superficial it's not flippant um christ died for our sins it's not a flippant thing Christ, uh, I mean, God takes our sin very seriously. A, a kind of, of confessionalism is possible in the life of a believer uh, where we get into a habit. I, I know this is true for, for a lot of us who have struggled with, with sexual sin or even pornography. Don't ever give up, keeping, you know, continue to come back to confession of sin. But sometimes we kick into, it's possible, into a confessionalism, meaning, uh, well, I've sinned, I confess my sin, I'm forgiven. Whew, I sinned, uh, oh, I confess my sin, I'm forgiven. A sin, a confessment, and, and many live that way without repentance. Confession is the first step towards repentance. And, and so confessionalism, a way of life, is not what God's called us to. Confession is the end of self-deception. Uh, the Spirit brings light and exposes our sin. Uh, confessing open a sin brings, brings it out in the open. Uh, it's, it, it's putting an end to, to this defensive you know, mechanism of denial and avoidance uh, calling sin sin calling a spade a spade naming it and bringing it out and there's something powerful about saying it even out loud before the lord and to a brother confession is recognizing admitting acknowledging acknowledging uh, and declaring our guilt before god it's a part of repentance it's that first step of repentance and it's also a part of asking forgiveness for someone else you confess you say out loud to another what you have done part of uh, uh, of restitution for sin it's the first step to make things right before another person i spend time there because i think confession of sin is a lost practice in the church and uh, it may be i I just challenge you today on this day it may be a lost practice in your life and i just want to encourage you as we look at this passage and i want you to take out your your handout there and you'll follow along with me as we simply walk through this passage briefly uh, as we think about the power of confession so look at uh, chapter 9, uh, beginning with verse 1. Now, the, on the 24th day, he puts this in context, right? Places it in history. Of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. <laughs> How about that? They put dirt on their heads. This was just a, a common mode of, of fasting, saying, I am just dirt Ashes, You know, at times we see in the New Testament or other times on the heads of the people. They're fasting and in sackcloth. Why are they fasting? They're fasting because they're responding to the word of God having been written. So I want you to see, first of all, they fasted and pursued the Lord. Write that down. They fasted and pursued the Lord. Sometimes we need to enter into uh, an intentional, atten- uh, attentive even radical pursuit of God. And I just want to encourage you, men, that this is that time of the year. Uh, it's a good time. Anytime, we've said, is a good time uh, for repentance. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that all of life, all the Christian life is a life of repentance. But now we have a focused season of life for you to enter into a time of fasting and prayer and confession of sin. I just want to encourage you to do that. Many of us wonder, well, well how do you fast? I've written a Uh, a great guide on how to fast and you can find it on our website there's lots of ways to fast Um, a lot of us baptists are generally confused about fasting but just in the same context when jesus said when you pray pray like this and we said okay let me read that well in the same same you know teaching there in the sermon on the mount he says, and when you fast fast like this so he's expected his followers to fast there's different ways to fast so i want to encourage you in that Look at this now. So they enter into fasting after they're impacted by the word of God. Verse 2, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, I want you to see the impact of God's word. They consecrated themselves. That's another way of saying they separated themselves. Sometimes you need to separate yourself intentionally. I will stop, and maybe in this season, I will stop watching so much television. I'm watching TV more than I pray. I will stop reading uh, you know, social media or whatever else before I read my Bible. I'll stop reading the paper before I read the Word of God. I will stop drinking in this season of my life, or I'll stop whatever it might be. There's a time when you separate yourself. You, you intentionally consecrate yourself for the purpose of God. Look at verse, look at verse 3. And they stood up in, in their place and read from the book of the law... Of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. All right, so some six hours or so, and for another quarter of the uh, it uh, another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Now, this is a long worship service, all right. Some of you don't want to go past noon. I mean, they're getting after it, right? Uh every, all the Methodists, whomever out they're beating them all to the restaurant. These guys are here and they're not leaving. Um, and it says here, they, the, they let the, here's what I'm saying here. They let the Word of God read them. Now, there's a difference between reading the Word of God and allowing the, read, the Word of God to read you. We're going to talk about that if we have time a little bit later today. But, um, but, but how do you know that they let the Word of God read them? Well, I know because it says they confessed, write this down, they confessed their sin and they worship God. That's the impact of the Word of God. And then it says on, on the stairs of the Levites stood all of these different ones, cried with a, with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites and all of these groups stood up. It says there in verse, um, verse 4, verse 5, uh, it says that, that stand up and bless the Lord your God for, from everlasting to everlasting. And this is where the prayer now begins. Watch this. Blessed be your gracious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. This is the start of a prayer now that is essentially the rest of this chapter. Um, we don't have time to walk through it, but it's, but it's important to note that now what they do, they, they, they reflect on what God has done. Uh, this is a great time, uh, as should be a daily practice. It really what is what Bible study is, it's what prayer is, it's what worship is. It's practicing the discipline of remembrance remembering what God has done. That's why Christ has given us the Lord's Supper. He says, remember, remember. And what does he say? Remember the cross. I means like a Billy Graham sermon. Just come back to the cross. Back to the cross. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Back to the cross. Yeah, I know about it. No, back to the cross. Yeah, I, I get that. I've got to, okay, back to the cross. Remember what I've done for you. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. And here they enter into a prayer. What is a prayer? But the prayer is a history of God's redemptive work among his people. And so it says, for instance, uh, verse uh, verse 7. Well, how about this? Verse 6, it starts with creation. Verse 7 goes on. You are the Lord, the God of Abraham. Or Abraham, you brought him out of the Ur of Chaldea. So he's all the, way, all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. You found his heart in verse eight. You promised him he'll make a make a nation. Then in verse nine, it goes on the Red Sea. The people cried out. You heard. You made a name for yourself on that day. He says. And then in, in verse ten, he says. In verse twelve, a pillar of cloud. If you've been here on Sunday mornings, we've been walking through this passage. He says you came to the to Sinai and you brought the Ten Commandments in verse thirteen. Uh, you gave the law to Moses, verse 14. You gave bread from heaven, manna from heaven. We talked about last week in verse 15. He says, the people were stiff-necked and did not obey your commands, verse 16. And they, uh, they, they, they made an idol. We're going to be preaching that this Sunday. Uh, but you, it continues to talk about God's faithfulness. even Verse 18, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf, uh, we're looking at that this week. In, in verse 19, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. Verse 20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Uh, and you gave them... Manna to eat, verse 22. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, allotted to them every corner. You multiplied their children. And notice it just, you did this, you did this. Verse 26, and nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back, killed the prophets, verse 27. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of, of the enemy. And it goes on and on. You warned them, verse uh, 29. They were stubborn and stiff-necked in verse 29. You bore with them. You were patient with them, and and yet they would not give uh, ear. And then in verse 32, Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon your kings, princes, priests, prophets, and fathers, And all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. And verse 33 really is a summary of this entire prayer of of remembrance. It says, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. So it's a prayer reflecting on God's faithfulness and the unfaithfulness of his people. So in number five there, they remembered the history of God's faithfulness, we should practice this discipline of, of remembrance ourselves. And number six, look at what it says in, in verse 38. Number six, write this down. They, they devoted themselves to the Lord. After they, they reflected, they, they confessed their sin after the word of God was, 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 was preached, taught. Uh, You remember last week, it says that that they explained the word of God. Even as I'm doing today, they would read the word of God, explain the word of God, apply the word. They'd respond and they devoted themselves. They made a covenant. Verse 38, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document of the names of our princes and Levites and our priests. They said our leaders have sealed this document before the Lord and number six, they devoted themselves, yes, to the Lord. They remembered the history, and they devoted themselves to Him. Now, what we're going to see in the, in the days to come, and we'll unpack this over the next couple of weeks, in chapters, uh, really, 10, 11, and 12, in particular, we're going to see that their devotion led to three things. Now, we don't have time today, and we don't need time. We're going to look at this in the days to come, but you can write this down. It's interesting. The three things that they would def- devote themselves to, first, the purity of marriage. The importance of consecrating ourselves um, in our homes. The fragility of a family brings about the destruction of a nation. And God knew this. He's the one who's designed it this way. So he calls the people back to a commitment of the family, which starts with marriage. And then the next one is a spiritual rhythm of life. The Sabbath. He calls them to a Sabbath. I've, I've referenced this before. It was Rick Warren who who taught years ago, I read um, or heard him speak something, uh, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually before the Lord. A spiritual rhythm of life. So we're going to talk about that. And then the last one is extraordinary generosity. Generosity always marks the life of a believer, one who trusts the Lord. And we're going to talk about these three marks of a godly man in the, in the, in the next uh, days to come here. So I hope you'll be here next week. And again, uh, just invite a friend. All these uh, studies can stand alone. So 1 John 1, 9, as we close our time together, if we confess our sins, you know this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession means to agree with God. And, uh, and, and, and as we come into our groups today, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Confession should lead to repentance. Repentance leads to a life that has been changed by the Lord, a life transformed. I love what uh, Dr. Graham said. He said, I've read the last page of the Bible, and it's all going to turn out all right. <laughs> he also said, you may have seen, uh, you know, he said some years ago, Someday you're going to hear uh, that Billy Graham has died. He said, don't believe it. I will be more alive than I've ever been. and he is even now. man, I hope that as you gather in your groups today and talk, as you share with one another, that you'll spur one another on. Being, you know encourage each other in the Lord. but a few questions that I want you to consider, as I thought about the, the history that, that, that was really un, unpacked and remembered here, It's good to remember what God has done in your life. You know, there's an old hymn that says, Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And that's what the people have done. They noted their unfaithfulness, but they just just continued on and on about the faithfulness of God, their history. And I thought it'd be a great thing in our groups if we did nothing else today but to say, um, hey, here's how God's been faithful in my life. And maybe you don't know uh, the, the ones around your table today. Uh, we've not shared, perhaps, how we came to faith in Christ. We could spend the rest of our time simply saying, here's how I came to Christ. Now, in a group, if you do that, in a group your size, it can't be a long story, but you can tell, here's how Christ saved me. Here's how I was saved. Here's what God did. Here's who, here's who was involved in my life. Here's who shared the gospel with me. That's inspiring for all of us as we think about Dr. Graham, that we, too, can be that person in someone's life, even today. And so uh, if you have time, maybe that's the route you want to go. I also noted another question, if you can get there, is uh, have you ever in, entered into an intensive season of prayer and focus on the Word of God that's changed your life? What did that look like? Describe that. What, you know, Encourage others of us. When was a time when God used the Word of God to change your life when you confessed your sin? And then how do you know if you're reading the Word of God or if the Word of God is truly uh, reading you? All right. Let me pray, and then we're going to enter into our time, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful time here and a great day. So good to see you men. God, we thank you uh, for the life of Dr. Graham, so inspiring for many of us. Uh, we want to be a man who would lead with integrity and that the gospel would be central to our lives as well. Lord, each one of us, that's why we're here. We want to be difference makers. We want to be world changers ourselves, uh, but, but remind us, each one here that it starts with, with one man. It starts with a, with a wife. It starts with children. It starts with a friend. It starts with a coworker. Uh, many of us will not preach um, in stadiums around the world. I guess none of us will. But uh, well, we can make a difference with the one that you called us to. Could it be that you would use us like Grady Wilson, who simply invited his buddy to come to hear Mordecai Ham preach the gospel? Lord, we know we can make a difference. Use our time here to encourage one another, spur one another on towards Christ in whom we have salvation. I pray that you'll use this time, this day, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Great.